This is Getting to Know Your Bible, a program dedicated to the proclaiming of the good news of Jesus Christ. Here's Billy Lambert. It is a pleasure to be with you today on Getting to Know Your Bible, and we do appreciate those of you who are watching at this time, especially if you may be watching for the very first time. And I want to thank you for watching today. Continue to watch for the next little while. We're going to be talking about the church age today. There have been other ages of history so far as the Bible is concerned. But today we live in a new era of time. We come sometimes call it the age of Christianity or we call it the church age. We're going to discuss that today. The church age. I hope you'll stay tuned today. Now, on Getting to Know Your Bible, we're offering a free Bible correspondence course. I'd like to emphasize the course is free. And, and we have uh, so many people that are already taking this course. I Actually, it numbers up into the thousands and thousands of people that are taking this Bible course. And we'd like for you to have it as well. We have people who have uh, told us that this is one of the best things that they've ever done in studying this Bible correspondence course. It's increased their knowledge of the Bible, helped them so much in learning more about the will of God. So we want you to have the course. And, and could I emphasize again that it's free? There is no cost. In order that you might know more about the course, that you might know how to receive it, let's pause for just a moment. To help you in your study of the Bible, we want to send you this Bible correspondence course. This course is non-denominational, it's based on the Bible, it's conducted by mail, and it's free. To receive this course, write to Getting to Know Your Bible, Post Office Box 314, Somerdale, Alabama, 36580, or call toll-free 1-877-711-5214. I'm reading now from Hebrews 1, verse 1 and verse 2. God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world. You and I are living today in the Christian age of Bible history. The Christian age of Bible history was ushered in with the death of Jesus Christ on the cross. And this age of Bible history will last until the end of time. At that time that Jesus Christ returns and then he renders up the kingdom or the church to God. 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 24. Hundreds of years before Jesus Christ came into the world, the prophets predicted the coming of the church age. One of the prophets, especially, that spoke about that was the, was the prophet Daniel. 
And if you will, take your Bibles now and turn to Daniel, the second chapter. And look in verse number 44 of Daniel, chapter 2. And in the days of these kings shall the God of heaven set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed. And it shall not be left to other people, but it shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms, it shall stand forever. Notice the, the language here. In the days of these kings. Now what kings does he have reference to? And he said it would be in the days of these kings that God would set up a kingdom that would never be destroyed. If you will study the second chapter of Daniel, there are four kingdoms that are discussed in this chapter. First of all, there is the Babylonian kingdom mentioned in verse 38. Following the Babylonian kingdom, there was the Medo-Persian kingdom, verse 39. Following the Medo-Persian kingdom, there was the rise of the Grecian kingdom during the days of Alexander the Great. That's verse 39 as well. And then following the, the fall of the Grecian empire, sometime later there was the rise of the Roman empire. And it was in the days of those kings, that is the days of the Roman kings, that God would set up a kingdom that would never be destroyed. It was in the days of that fourth great world empire. It was during the days of the Roman kings that John the Baptist began to preach. And this was his message. Matthew chapter 3 and verse 2. Repent ye, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So John in the days of those Roman kings predicted the coming of the kingdom. Another prophet that foretold the coming of the church age was a prophet by the name of Isaiah. In Isaiah, the second chapter, and in verses 2 and 3 of that chapter, he talks about the establishment of the Lord's house. Listen to him. Now it shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established on the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills, and all nations shall flow to it. Many people shall come and say, Come, and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us of his ways, and we shall walk in his paths, for out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. His prophecy in Isaiah chapter 2 was fulfilled on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. Now when Jesus came to Caesarea Philippi, he made a startling announcement. That announcement is found in Matthew, the 16th chapter, verses 18 and 19. He's speaking to Peter. I say also unto thee that thou art Peter, 
and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Those statements made by our Lord in Matthew chapter 16 was during the days of that fourth great world empire, during the days of the Roman kings. Notice in verse 18 in particular that Jesus said, I will build my church. When Jesus made that statement, the church was yet in the future. It had not been built yet. He said, I will build. Notice again that Jesus said, I will build my church. That is, he said, it's mine. I will build my church. If I were to see you sitting in your automobile and I said, uh, whose car is that? You would say, well, it's mine. It belongs to me. If I were to ask you, why does it belong to you? You say, because I purchased it. I paid for it. I, I paid hard money for that car. And Jesus said, I will build my church because Jesus paid for it. He purchased it with his blood. Acts 20 and verse 28. So Jesus said, I will build my church church. Jesus said church as of one, not churches as of many. So it was in the days of those Roman kings that Jesus made that announcement. I will build my church. But in Mark the ninth chapter in verse 1, again in the days of those kings, Jesus announced the coming of the kingdom like this. Verily I say unto you, there be some of them standing here which shall not taste of death, till they see the kingdom of God come with power. Jesus again said, the kingdom is coming. And when the kingdom comes, the kingdom is coming with power. But in Luke the 24th chapter in verse 49, in the days of those kings, Jesus said, tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high. Now notice that Jesus said here, I will build my church. It will come with power. And the power will come in Jerusalem. In the first chapter of Acts in verse 8, in the days of those kings, the Lord said, Ye shall receive power after that the Holy Spirit is come upon you. And so Jesus had said, I will build my church and it will come with power and the power will come in Jerusalem and the power will come when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Now we turn to the second chapter of Acts and the occasion is the day of Pentecost. And this was in the days of those Roman kings incidentally. 
And we read these words in the first four verses of Acts chapter 2. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one sat upon each of them. Now notice verse 4 particularly. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now Jesus has said he was going to build a church, his church, they would come with power in Jerusalem when the Holy Spirit would come upon them. And it was upon the day of Pentecost, after Jesus' resurrection from the dead, that the apostles, and the only the apostles, the eleven apostles, were baptized with the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. That is, the Holy Spirit came upon the apostles on the day of Pentecost. And the church began in the city of Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost. On the day of Pentecost, Peter preached about Jesus. I want you to notice especially the 22nd, 23rd, and 24th verses of the chapter. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves also know. Now, to me, that's a mighty powerful statement. Peter was saying to these people that Jesus of Nazareth was a man attested by God, and it was by the miracles, wonders, and signs which he performed, and he did it, in your midst, and you know it. And they never denied it. Now verse 23, Him being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, you have taken by lawless hands, you have by lawless hands, have crucified and put to death. So now Peter's telling them they had crucified God's Son. They crucified the Messiah. Now verse 24, whom God raised up, having loosed the pains of death because it was not possible that he should be held by it. And so he's preaching about Jesus on the day of Pentecost. He's preaching about his life, about his death, and about his resurrection. And then he quoted David to prove by prophecy that Jesus had been resurrected. Notice verse 25. For David says concerning him. And now he's going to quote from David in Psalms chapter 16 verses 8 through 11. I foresaw the Lord always before my face, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart rejoiced and my tongue was glad. Moreover, my flesh also will rest in hope. You will not leave my soul in Hades, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. 
You have made known to me the ways of life. You will make me full of joy in your presence. So he quotes this prophecy from David. And why is he quoting this prophecy? He's quoting it to prove that Jesus Christ had been raised from the dead. I've often thought that if, the, if there was any people that it could prove Jesus had not been raised from the dead, surely it was the people that Peter was speaking to on this occasion. For they were the ones that had uh, cried out for his, for his blood, and they're the ones that Peter accused of crucifying him, but then he tells them, tells them now that he's been raised from the dead. Well, if he had not been raised from the dead, and if they knew where that body was, why didn't they produce the body? The reason they didn't produce it is because they did not have it. So after quoting this prophecy from David in Psalm 16, this is what he says to them in verse 31. He, foreseeing this, spoke concerning the resurrection of the Christ, that his soul was not left in Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. You see, Peter is pointing out that Jesus Christ has been raised from the dead. Now, the next thing that Peter does is he tells the crowd in verse 36 that they had crucified the one that they, for whom they had been looking. Listen in verse 36. Therefore... Let all the house of Israel know assuredly, beyond any doubt, that God has made this Jesus, which Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. So they found out that the one they had crucified was Lord and Christ. He was the long-awaited Messiah. He was the hope of the world. He was the Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ. Have you ever wondered how those people must have felt when Peter said that to them? Well, in the next verse, we learn how they felt, what effect that sermon had upon them. It says, now when they heard this, well, when they heard what? Well, I'm convinced that it's talking about everything that they had heard from Peter. Well, when they heard that uh, about Jesus Christ and, and about his life and his death and his resurrection and, and that they had crucified him, when they heard that, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? Uh, friends, there's not a more important question in all of the realm of human thought than this question right here. What shall we do? They were convicted. They now realized they had crucified the Lord Jesus Christ. And they're asking, what shall we do? That's like asking, what must I do? to be saved. Now, how do you suppose Peter responded to that? Now, let's look at his answer in verse 38. Then Peter said to them, Repent. 
if there's ever been a people since the beginning of time that needed to repent, surely, just surely, would have had to have been the people that crucified Jesus. But before we become smug and censorous in our attitude toward them, may, may we realize that our sins crucified him as well. So he said, repent and let every one of you be baptized. How many of us, Peter? Let every one of you be baptized. But they're to be baptized after they do what? After they repent. They're to repent of their sins. And he says, let every one of you be baptized. By whose authority, Peter? In the name of Jesus Christ. So he says, repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Every one of you do that. No exceptions. Now why should we do that, Peter? For, look at it in your Bible, please. For the remission of sins. Repent and be baptized for the remission of sins of sins. Someone says, now, 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 Brother Lambert, that sounds like that it means that repentance and baptism are, are equally uh, essential to one's salvation. That's exactly right. Repentance is as important to one's salvation as is baptism, and baptism is as important to one's salvation as is repentance of sin or faith in Jesus Christ. It, it's not just baptism, is it? We have to repent and be baptized. But I, 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 I wish I could put that in a form of a mathematical equation so you could, you could really see what Peter's saying in this passage. He says repentance plus baptism equals remission of sin. I think we understand the word remission when we talk about a person with cancer. It may be that someone that's watching the telecast now has had cancer. And you, the doctors told you about some treatments you could take. And you took the treatments and, and then later he comes to you and said, I've got good news, you're in remission. No one has to explain that to you. You know what remission means in a case like that. That just simply means that that cancer is no longer working actively in your body to destroy your body. And our Lord is in the remission business. He's in the business of, rem of remitting sins. Jesus Christ wants to destroy the activity of sin in our lives. But we have to repent of those sins. And then the Bible says we're to be baptized for the remission of those sins. So in order to obtain remission of sin, one, mu one must repent and be baptized. Someone says, well, what about Brother Lambert repeating the, the, the sinner's prayer? Well, friends, I want to be just as kind as I can, but it's not in that passage. It's not in this passage. When the people ask, what shall we do? The only thing I know to tell people today is what people were told in the first century that they ought to do. And Peter told these people to repent of their sins, to be baptized for the remission of their sins. 
In other words, in order that their sins might be forgiven in the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. The thing that really remits our sins is His blood. Matthew 26, 28, This is my blood of the New Testament, which was shed for many for the remission of sins. The same expression. And Jesus said, Repent and be baptized for the remission of sins. Acts 22, 16 reads how, Why tarest thou rise and be baptized and wash away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord. So repentance plus baptism equals remission of sins. And in every case of conversion in the New Testament, without any exception, they were all baptized. Now on the day of Pentecost, as we continue to look here in Acts chapter 2, after learning what to do, verse 41 says, those that gladly received his word were baptized. And the day, that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. Friends, today when men and women will gladly receive the word, then they can be baptized for the remission of their sins. Now after the 3,000 were baptized for the remission of their sins, of what church will they remember? Well, in Acts chapter 2 and in, in verse number 47, let me read that to you. Praising God and having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. You see, the Lord just simply added the saved to the church. The same thing that saved their souls, repentance and baptism for the remission of sins, gave them membership in the church. But no one voted on them. No one had a raising of the hands to decide whether they could be members of the church or not. The Bible says the Lord added them. Now if the Lord added the saved to the church, to which church did he add them? You see, we're looking at the Bible today historically. Jesus said, I will build my church. People ask what to do to be saved. They did what they were told to do to be saved, and they were added to the church. Isn't it just logic that in the first century, the church to which they were added, the one Jesus promised to build, it was his church, the Lord's church. Today in the Christian age, with men and women become New Testament Christians, as they did on the day of Pentecost, the Lord adds them to his body, which is called the church. I want to thank you for watching today. Not until we meet again, may the Lord bless you and keep you. It's my prayer. Getting to Know Your Bible has been presented by Churches of Christ. If you have a question about the church, or if you would like the location of a Church of Christ near you, or to receive the free Bible course, write to Getting to Know Your Bible, Post Office Box 
Summerdale, Alabama, 36580 or call 1-877-711-5214. Join us next time for Getting to Know Your Bible.